Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. We are in the third Sunday of Easter, and what that means is, is that um, the peeps are a little dry, and, uh, but more delicious than ever. But uh, we come to uh, the end of John's Gospel. Now, um, this is a very important point, because you need to understand this. Last week was technically the end of John's Gospel, John chapter 20, and it ends with the Apostle writing... <clears throat> But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And then all of a sudden we have John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 functions almost as an epilogue. It is an epilogue. If John chapter 1 is the prologue, John chapter 21 is the epilogue. And like all great epilogues, the concluding event is intended to convey, tie the whole thing together, and convey to you what the text is all about. And it can be boiled down to two points. I really wish it was three, but <laughs> I was like two in the morning trying to make this three. But anyway, it's like boiled down to two points. And the first point is this. Jesus always forgives and reconciles sinners to himself. And the second point is, Jesus always commissions and inspires sinners then through his love for the sake of his kingdom. Now this epilogue rings so true. It rings so true because if any of us would have written the epilogue, you know, this was the gospel according to Jacob. You know, after Jesus appeared to Thomas and then breathed on all of us and gave us this amazing word that whatever you bind on heaven will be bound on earth and whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. If Jake was given charge to write the epilogue, I would have been like, and then me and the disciples got together in that upper room. We were awesome, and we came up with an amazing mission and vision statement and a five-year plan about how we were going to impact the nations for Jesus. But that doesn't happen, does it? This is why it rings so true. Instead, the disciples do what we all actually do when life gets overwhelming, when life gets frustrating. Do what we all do when life gets confusing. We go back to what we know. For some of us, it's workaholism. For others, it's an addiction. For some of you, it's a bad relationship or isolation. Have you noticed how much of life post-pandemic is trying to go back to what we know? the comforts of life before the pandemic, finally we're getting back to normal. For Peter and the other disciples, it was to head back to Galilee. Head back to Galilee, back to fishing. That's what they were doing. That was normal. However, St. John tells us 
that they're fishing all night. What happens? They pull the nets back up and they're empty. Now, epilogues are typically filled with a lot of symbolism. And what this empty net does is it functions as a graphic illustration of the spiritual barrenness that comes with simply going back to what we know. They didn't catch anything. And this is my first point. As we see from the disciples, often going back to what we know, well, it's totally natural, well, it can feel safe, well, it makes total sense. Going back to normal, going back to what we know on our own, in order to maintain some sort of semblance of control, is fruitless. Or in this case, it's fishless. <laughs> Pun totally intended. And this is because, why is this? Well, this is because while God can and he does work in what we know, after an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he encounters you by the power of his spirit, it is never simply for the same old purpose anymore. God has a purpose for you, a mission for you, that is rooted in the promise of the gospel. And when you encounter Jesus, it is never again back to simply what you know. Everything is different. It's interesting. It's interesting in this epilogue that Jesus calls and stands with the disciples, specifically St. Peter, in front of the presence of a charcoal fire. The Greek word for that is anthrakia. Anthrakia, and it's used twice in the New Testament. The first is in the courtyard where Peter denies Jesus three times, and then he hears the cock crow. John chapter 18. And the second place it's used is right here in this epilogue, John chapter 21, where the disciples meet the resurrected Jesus for the third time. And I want to propose to you that our lives are lived between these two anthrakias. Our lives are lived between these two charcoal fires. Between the charcoal fire of fear and rejection and the charcoal fire of redemption and salvation. And Jesus and his gospel and Jesus and his call on your life in between these two fires can get a little fuzzy. In the midst of the overwhelming parts of life, Jesus can seem nothing more than a distant figure on the shore. Jesus can seem nothing more than a stranger cooking breakfast on a beach. But isn't that interesting? Even when you don't recognize him, he's still there serving you. And while it's so often difficult to see and sometimes even hard to believe, you need to know that you are never left alone by God. You are never, ever left alone by God. You're never left without the signs 
that mark Jesus' presence with you and in you, word and sacrament, by the power of the Holy Spirit, surrounded by God's people, in God's place, as one voice that glorifies his name. Even when we go back to what we know, even when we go back to what is comfortable and safe, let me proclaim to you that Jesus is always present. And if Jesus is always present, then there's always hope. You see, in meeting the disciples on the beach, in the presence of that charcoal fire, Jesus took what the disciples knew. He took fishing, and like he did the first time he met them on the beach, he gave fishing a new purpose. And he meets you right where you're at. And he gives you a new purpose as well. There's always hope for you. He gave fishing to these disciples a new purpose. And he told them the first time he met that fishing now would become fishers of people. And this is my second point. Chapter 21, this epilogue, is a profound illustration of God taking what we know and using it for a new purpose. God takes a failed fishing trip and fills those nets with fish, illustrating that everything in life is now different for the apostles. And he takes whatever's going on and meeting you right where you're at, and he declares to you, everything is now different. The old ways of doing things are over. They have been redeemed. And they have been saved in the promise of the resurrection. They've been saved in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. As John eventually would see in his vision and revelation, the lamb who was slain but lives and by whose blood has ransomed you and me as a people for himself. Everything is different. This is illustrated beautifully in the restoration of St. Peter. Not only as a sheep, but as a shepherd of God's flock. There he is, before that charcoal fire. And Jesus asks Peter, Do you love me? Followed by the call to feed my sheep. Now there's so much to unpack right there. And Jesus asks him again, not once, not twice. But three times a lady. And he says, but what this is, I mean, there's a lot to say about this, but this becomes a very powerful illustration of restoration. And it becomes a powerful reminder for you. You going back to the comforts of life. You going back to those things that made you safe. You going back to those old things that gave you purpose. What it says is that nothing can disqualify you from the love of God. And nothing can disqualify you from serving our Lord. And that everything we do as Christians first flows out of love. The love of God which always first forgives sinners and then commissions and inspires sinners for service of his kingdom. Those two points. 
Now, most people, the end of that gospel, there's a prophecy about Peter. I'm sure on the beach he thought, what is going on? Now, most people know that the prophecy Jesus gives St. Peter at the end of our reading was fulfilled in Rome, where Peter, being crucified upside down during what's called the Roshan Persecution. And this is why some versions of St. Peter's coats of arm have a cross that's upside down. It's inverted. But Peter requested this sort of martyrdom because he said he was unworthy to die in the same manner of his Lord. But what most people don't know is the surrounding story about it entitled Quo Vadis Domine. Where are you going, Lord? which scholars believe came to us from a third century church father named Clement of Alexandria. Now the story goes that Peter started this huge church in Rome and he fed the sheep and this church grew and it grew and then Nero began to persecute the church. He wouldn't allow them to go to Chick-fil-A. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But like, in honestly, when most people are talking about being persecuted in this country, it's nonsense. You go to an atheistic country like China, that's persecution. You go to an Islamic state, that's persecution. And what Peter was experiencing was persecution. It was vicious. There were public crucifixions of Christians across Rome. Nero used them as lanterns to light the streets at night. He doused them in oil and fed them to wild animals. It was intense. And St. Peter was terrified. Like all of us. And he took off. And as Rome was in complete chaos, and as the story goes, Nero played the fiddle. Peter snuck out of the city via what is called the Appian Way. And he was trying to get back to what he knew. He was trying to get back to a place of safety. He was trying to get back to this place of comfort. Maybe we'll go back to fishing. Yet right outside the wall, Peter begins to hear the cock crow. And there he sees a man coming down the road, walking towards Rome. And the story is is that he recognizes that it's Jesus by the wound on his hand. And startled, Peter sees the Lord. And he says, Quo vadis domine? Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus said, My dear Peter, where you're going? To feed my sheep. Peter, convicted, he turns around and he followed the Lord back to Rome to be with his sheep. This is my third point. As we see with Peter throughout the gospel in his life, he's always the first to speak and then he's also the first to trip over his own tongue. As we see in this epilogue, as we see throughout this beautiful hagiography, God always forgives sinners. And two, God always commissions and inspires sinners. And God does this in order to manifest his goodness and mercy to the world 
through what we do. Notice I didn't say he justifies us through what we do. God justifies you and me by his grace through faith. But he uses us and he works through you and me to draw the whole world to himself. Yes, even you. There's hope for all of us in the gospel. So, because there's hope for all of us in the gospel, hear Jesus say to you, come to this table and have brunch with me. Feast on the bread that is my body and the wine that is my blood. Let me nourish you. Let me make all that you know different and new. Wherever you are, whatever you've gone back to in life, hear Jesus say to you, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Drink this, this is my blood shed for you. Brunch today, which is a foretaste of a feast yet to come. And that feast will have no end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.